Welcome to Soul Talk, a podcast founded and created by Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love. Soul Talk was created in 2020 when a pandemic hit and we were in lockdown. She wanted to have exciting conversations with open-minded people so they could understand different aspects of herself and she could help others in the same way. She interviews healers, coaches, therapists, psychics, readers, channelers, mediums, intellectuals, poets, artists, and more. She calls it Soul Talk because it started as a conversation from soul to soul. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior Love. And thank you for being again in Soul Talk podcast. And I really appreciate uh, your presence here. And today we have a very special person that I met through writing books and uh, for in different groups and so forth. And he was writing a very interesting book. His name is Alan Simberg. And Alan uh, just finished actually his one of his books that he's gonna be is gonna come, be coming out very very soon. He's gonna tell you more about it. And it is called Back to the Living Action and Strategies from Recover from Addiction. But he's gonna tell you more about his book. Alan, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, who you are, uh, and how it came out this idea of this book? Yes, and also I want to thank you, Monica, for giving me this opportunity to speak with you and your audience. Well, I have a PhD in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed chemical dependency counselor, and I also have certification in applied clinical nutrition. I have a virtual private practice, and as you did mention, and I don't know that I updated you. I, the book actually is published now. It's on Amazon. And the motivation that got me to write the book was that one of the things that I noticed about addiction treatment is that there wasn't a lot written about recovery. And one of the things that I did not find very much information about, even though it may be out there, is what does recovery really mean? And what does a person do in recovery? What are the steps that a person can take in recovery that can help them to maintain consistency in remaining abstinent from either any substances they might be using or any behaviors that are also not really serving them very well. I totally agree with you. Uh, it is actually a battle. It is not only the, the part of stop doing uh, behaviors or addiction or a, a drug addiction, so alcoholism or any of those. It is what they left behind that they have to recover to, and the families, they have to recover from a person that have any kind of addictions. Yes, I completely agree with you. And to the point that you just made, that was actually one of the main things that I was thinking about in terms of recovery. And what I mean by that is that it's one thing for someone to say, for example, they're going to stop drinking alcohol, they're going to stop using drugs, or they're going to stop gambling. Mm -hmm. 
But it's another thing to see what they're going to be doing with their life. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this book is about. It covers several life areas, which include health, finance, family life, career, and their social life. It gives them tips and strategies to manage all those different life areas. And another thing that bears mentioning here is the book is actually a microcosm of an e-learning program that I'm currently marketing to addiction treatment centers and also professionals. So there's even more information in the e-learning course. But back to that main point that I was just making, when someone has been active in their addiction, one of the main things besides worrying, is the person really going to stay in recovery? But another main thing is, what is the person going to do in terms of getting their life back together? And that's where this book and the e-learning course comes in. It guides the person in how to have the best life possible. And as they apply the strategies, the family can be less worried about the potential for that person to remain in recovery. Yes, that is uh, is devastating what happened, uh, not only to the person that is have the addiction, it is devastating also for the families that they have to deal with that. Many of them, they lose their families. And to recover from that one, it is tough. And it is uh, it is not, not only tough for the families, it is more for the person that is trying to build their life together again. And I have seen it with many of my patients. I have seen it with many of my clients. And in fact, even some of my family <laughs> have that problem. But what it is that actually uh, for you that a person start having addiction to start? What starts the person to have an addiction? Yes. Ah, well, there can be several factors. One of them would be if a person has had any trauma in their life and they don't know how to manage it. So although the intention might not be there, but one of the functions that the addiction really provides to the person is it helps to mask the intensity of the emotion that they're feeling. And it also helps them come to terms with the idea that they don't know what to do about it. In other words, it provides an escape from the emotional turmoil that they're experiencing. Now, an addiction can also start, in a sense, in a very neutral way. Addiction can also start if someone experiments and then they get hooked on either the behavior or the substance. So it doesn't necessarily have to be to cover up emotions. However, as you and probably many people in your audience already know, once an addiction takes over, it does affect the other areas of the life and it becomes a negative pattern or what I would call a counterproductive pattern where it interferes with with positive functioning or productive functioning in many of their life areas. 
And then that would be a reason they get so they feel so much guilt and so much shame that part of the reason they may be continuing with the addiction is to not have to deal with those emotions. And the auto-sabotage at the same time. It is a big one for many people. And not only I see it in, uh, in addictions for alcohol, drugs, or things like that, in behaviors. Yes. Yeah, the auto-sabotage. And that is a very hard one to, to let go if they are not aware what they're doing. Correct? Yes. And, and also, what's, what's happening in that situation is not only is the person not recognizing what they're doing, but they're not able to think clearly about what to do. And in some cases, they don't know where to turn. And in other cases, they may have a misunderstanding of about what treatment can do for them. And in other cases, people may have too much pride And they may think to themselves, I don't need help. I can do this. Anytime I want to do it, I can do it. But of course, the thing that's so ironic about that is they don't do it. And like you mentioned, there's a part of them, they don't realize how they're actually sabotaging their potential to be in recovery. Yes, and uh, some, well, what is very helpful is the 12 steps for anything to recognize that you have a problem to start. And that's the hardest part that I have seen of people to realize when they have an addiction, to recognize that they have a problem so they can change it. Correct? Yes. Yes. And, and as you're indicating, it also prevents people from allowing themselves to experience the 12-step program because... There's a lot of stereotyping and a lot of misconceptions that go on about the 12-step program. And I think that part of what feeds those stereotypes and the misconceptions, without the person realizing it, they're using that as an excuse not to try it. That is so true. Is It is about believing, everything resumes, I believe so, in believing in themselves, in believe that they can change it, in believe that they can have a different um, life expectation that they, they've been having for the longest they've been doing, whatever they're doing. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that one of the things that would be really helpful for people to know, which I don't know how many people truly realize this, But the foundation of 12-step is spirituality. It's based on spiritual principles. What ends up happening, and let's say, for example, in the 12-step meetings, is personalities take over. And sometimes some of the aspects of the personality don't allow people to recognize the spiritual foundation of the 12-step intentions. But at the same time, that live outside the people that they don't, they're atheists. So basically, the 12 steps for a person that is an atheist, it is not going to work. 
because they're already rejecting any kind of religion because spirituality for them, for an atheist person, I was married to one, that's why I'm saying it. Uh, they Any kind of spirituality, even mentioning God, source, energy, soul, etc., for them they're just closed down to any, anything of that. How that uh, how you can help someone that is don't believe in anything in the spirituality, not necessarily religion, but actually, but they wanted to let go any of the addictions that they have. Well, I think that's an excellent question, and the answer is to help people to know that part of what's written into the twelve step program, the way. It's stated has absolutely nothing to do with organized religion. The word precisely, I think this is precise, is God of your own understanding. So it offers a lot of leeway in terms of how the person would interpret what that all means. And in my opinion, if someone would give themselves a chance to become aware of what spirituality is and that it doesn't necessarily have to include organized religion in terms of practicing the principles of organized religion. I think that would make them much more available to the idea of trying it. Welcome. In choosing to be part of this group, you have said yes to yourself. You've chosen to confront those limitations keeping you from achieving the life of your dreams. Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, is a transformational belief coach. She's a psychic channeler, certified NLP, life coach, BQH, that is hypnotherapy, Akashic Records reader, public speaker, writer, and artist. She works with many modalities and has created her own, like this one, to help you let go of the limitations and achieve the transformation you desire so you can anchor your emotions that you desire. Monica will be hosting a new session every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Time, leading the group through a guided meditation and proceeding to work with people individually. So join Monica here in this free journey by joining this Zoom link. I have a question uh, that always uh, been bothering me because I have seen many people, many clients and friends and so forth that they went into addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And uh, they can never go back uh, to to have um, uh, just a hint of that, um, let's say, one wine, if they were alcoholics, or any kind of a, something that is tempting to that. How they can recover in reality of any kind of addiction if they, if when they have it in front again, they are going to be tempted again because they cannot control it again themselves. So it sounds like you're talking about relapse. No, I'm not talking about relapsing when you have only one wine and you don't take another one. You don't take the second one. I don't know. I'm not understanding what you mean by one wine. Let's say we're talking about an alcoholic, this example. And they are uh, alcoholic and they go to the 12-step program or any kind of programs that it is for an uh, addiction, for put it in the example of alcoholics. And if they go and drink one wine, they cannot stop. That will be relapsing. 
but it will not be relapsing if they can have one uh, wine, let's say, or one uh, drink, and they don't have the second one. That will not be relapsing, correct? Well, technically, you are correct. Technically, that's called lapsing. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the difference between lapsing and relapsing is lapsing is exactly what you just said. It's having a drink, and then that's it. No more. Relapsing is having several drinks, maybe over a period of time, and then it starts to bring out all those old behaviors again, and that continues over time. And, uh, and that's the part I have not seen people, when they go lapsing, they, they can actually control it. The, whatever vice they have, they go back immediately. They cannot say no to the second, yes. to the second drink or the second whatever it is. Yes. And that's because of the physical aspect of addiction. It gets triggered. Or another thing that happens, and this is why people that have addictions, especially, well, actually any of the addictions, they're cautioned about not engaging in that addiction again. Now, here's the, here's the thing that also trips people up. They have a drink. Well, let's say they go and gamble, and nothing happens from it. They enjoy it. They start to, in a sense, rationalize or think, see, nothing bad happens. I can control this. And then they do it again, and maybe they have a little more alcohol, or they gamble a little bit longer, and nothing bad happens. They go, say, look at this. I got this licked. I, I got this. And then at some point, it takes over. And then they go right back into the addiction again, actively. What will be the, the personalities that they're more, um, they have a chance to actually get into any kind of addiction? I know there is an addiction there are um, personalities that they have addic more, addic uh, more addictive uh, personalities, but not necessarily uh, it's only that kind of uh, people that goes out, uh, goes in, into, oh, well, I have so many ideas in my mind that I wanted to ask. Sorry about that. That's okay. But uh, what kind of personalities are more, have the possibilities to go into any addiction? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you my point of view of that. I don't know that it's so much personality. There are certain traits, maybe, that contribute to that. I think it's more the genetic predisposition. So, for example, if alcoholism runs in a family, it doesn't mean that everybody in the family is going to have a problem with alcohol. But what it does mean is there's a very high potential that every person in the family has a genetic predisposition to developing the problem. So what the challenge that most people face is answering the question, do I want to take a chance or do I not want to drink or use drugs or gamble or whatever, 
go to shopping, sex addiction? Do I not want to take the chance on or rolling into all that or the chance that it can take over my life? Yes, I, I can totally see that. Uh, in my family, we have the gambling problem uh, by generations. And, uh, and for me, every time I go to a casino, it's like I get my $20. And this is, my, this is the max I'm going to use. Why? Because it always in the back of my head, the, my family story. So it is like I'm not going to gamble more than that $20. And that's it. But not everybody has that self-control. Yes. And that's the problem that the, the majority of the people have. Yes, and what you just said is exactly a solution to be used if it's used. Because as you probably know, and people in your audience already know, one of the things about gambling is, well, just one more. Or maybe they get upset that they lost. Or maybe they're happy they won and they want to win more. But, but what you just said by setting up a guideline and sticking to it of when you're going to stop, if it's possible to do that. Are they trying to feel any, any emptiness when they're going into a, a, to the addictions, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and in a sense, like you say, whether they realize it or not, they're doing their best to fill that emptiness. Yes. What are the basis of your program that you're using for your book or your coaching that you do, uh, your therapy that you do with people that have addictions? Is it 12 well, steps or is it different? Well, the, the, the first thing that I do is I determine by talking with the person their willingness to do something about the addiction. And then I take a history and I determine possible factors that have been contributing to the addiction and solutions that can help that person to overcome the addiction and be in recovery. So one of the things that I focus on is to go so-called step-by-step, not necessarily 12-step, but step-by-step so that the person doesn't feel overwhelmed by having to do something to, to accomplish too much at one time, because that could reinforce the addiction. And then I just meet with the person on a weekly basis, or sometimes, you know, depending on how well the person's doing, I might meet with them, you know, a little bit less frequently. And I do what I call, I assess rather than judge what's going on. So, for example, if I were to judge, I would consider the person a success or a failure. But by assessing what I do with clients, and this has been very effective, clients I have met with have been very successful using this approach. We identify what has prevented them from accomplishing their goals. And then we identify solutions rather than talking about them being either failures or successes. And by having that form of communication, 
it not only teaches them not to judge themselves, but also empowers them to know that they can do it. They just have to know how to do it. That is very right on point. I totally agree with, with your technique. Because it is. It is a lot of self-judgment and carrying guilt and shame and blame at the same time. That, that's why they, it is very hard for a person that have an, any kind of addiction to actually let it go. Yes. And, and shame, as you said, shame is one of the major contributing factors for that. Because as you and maybe many people in the audience know, shame is feeling bad about who you are. And if you identify yourself as being an addict, that can reinforce the shame. That's why I'm very careful with the language I use. And I never tell anyone that they're an addict. I know 12 Step might be upset about that. I talk to people about having an addiction because if you have something, you can do something about it. If you are that, you can't do anything about it. I totally agree with you because that's one of the things that I have seen in this program, in the 12 Steps, just reminding them they are sick for the rest of their life. It is condemnation. It is it's a failure for in the way how I see it. Yes. It's a contradiction to what the intention of what they want to accomplish. I agree. I totally agree. And unfortunately, the rehabs or programs, they're um, the best programs that there exist for people with have addictions, they're not free. And, uh, and that's become a big problem because not everybody wants to go to Alcoholicus Anonymous or not everybody are willing to go to or they can afford a rehab. And that's where it becomes a real serious problem in the United States, at least. Yes. Well, I think the solution to that, where it's reasonable, is if someone has to go into a detox, they could go into the detox and then go into counseling. And then, of course, the other aspect is there are some people who are lucky enough to have insurance. And then, of course, the insurance would pay. Now, also, what I've become aware of recently is that there are some rehabs that are also offering sliding scale. In other words, they don't charge the full amount. They base whatever they're going to charge on the person's income and, and their savings. Okay. That, that is very good information because I know many people are going to be hearing this uh, video and uh, this interview and they might have a, a person in their family or themselves that they are looking for a way to, to help. Yes. And, and one other thing I want to mention, there are other forms of treatment besides counseling and besides rehab. There's also something called intensive outpatient. And basically what that means is the person would be in a group that meets a few times a week. And that's a much less expensive alternative to treat to inpatient treatment. Yes. 
And your book have uh, also, I imagine that uh, not only the, the good read they're going to be getting from your, your book, but also you have exercises that they can apply for themselves, correct? Yes. Yes. And in addition to that, the e-learning course also has a workbook that guides them in how to use the strategies. Do you do um, your therapies online or in person? How do you work with people, Alan? Online. Online. Okay. Uh, do they have uh, the people, uh, someone like um, an AA? I've not been in those programs myself, but uh, I see also they have always a sponsor or someone that is make, uh, helping them for when in the moments they're they're about to go back to the addiction, right? You're saying it's helpful to have someone, if, whether, if they're in the AA, it would be a sponsor. And are you saying like, for example, in an intensive outpatient program, would they have someone to help them? Yes, like in the program that you're-, you're Oh, that so I'm doing. That you're doing. Okay, um, at this point, I don't have that because I'm just starting with all that. What I might do is I might offer some sort of contact with me for some extra support or if people have questions. I'm still working that part out, but that's something that I think could be helpful for people if that's also part of the program, especially, obviously, the e-learning program. Or if people read the book, they could always call me and ask me a question or message me on my webinar or my website. Perfect, because I, I do receive some clients. I am not, not my speciality um, addictions. It's a behavior, but not too much in alcohol or, or drugs with some of my clients. And they're always looking for that kind of support. They're always going to have the ups and downs. Uh, holidays are terrible for everybody in the world. <laughs> Family reunions. And in those moments, are going to need help. Yeah. And also anniversaries of events that they had in their life that were upsetting to them. Yes. Yes. This is very, very helpful, Alan. And uh, I'm glad that you're doing this. And actually, it needs to be more help in this area. And I wish uh, more people wants to, to find. This is something that I have encountered. Uh, with family members uh, that they they don't realize they have a problem. They don't realize that they, they need help or they're too afraid to actually get. Yes. And in addiction work, that's referred to as denial. Yes. And, and you said it very well. It's not realizing it. Yes. Or not being able to accept it. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big problem because a lot of people are in there. Yes. Yeah. It's facing addiction is really a big challenge for people. Yes, it is. It is. Do you have any advice for them? If they are listening right now into this uh, interview. Well, I think the best advice that I could give, if it's at all possible, to allow for the possibility, to consider the possibility that maybe there is a problem 
And if there is a problem, something can be done about it. And you could have the life that you really want to have. Thank you so much, Alan. Uh, the links of, um, so you can contact um, Alan, are going to be underneath in the description of this, uh, of this podcast, this interview. So like that, you can contact Alan and you can get his book. The links are going to be there also, so you can buy his book too. And hopefully this will help everybody else. Alan, do you have um, something else that you would like to add? Well, in a sense, I'm going to say a little bit differently what I've been saying and what I've been intending to communicate in talking with you today. Having an addiction does not have to be hopeless and it doesn't have to be unending. It can be difficult in the beginning when you first go into recovery, but once you get past whatever your beginning is, You know, for some people, it's a week. For some people, it's a month. You know, just in terms of being able to accept that you need help, it doesn't mean that you're any less of a person than anyone else. It's just you've, you've been engaging in a behavior that has not served you. In a sense, you've chosen that behavior which means you can choose to change the behavior and have the life that you've always wanted to have. Yes, that is, having hope is the last thing that we should ever lo uh, lose. Yes. We should always live with hope because there is a new beginning. There is a, the sun comes out every day. That's what Annie said. The sun will come out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Thank you so much, and uh, for for giving us this interview. And I I hope many people can see this interview because it, it is important. If we actually wanna change the world, the best way that we can change the world is starting with from us. Yes, we each make our contribution. Yes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for being in Soul Talk. And if this helped you, or you know someone that can help, please share this video or this podcast. I will appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarrioflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.